Hello and welcome back to the CyberSock podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. Adam, I'm hoping you've started your project for me this week. Oh, <laughs> it, I thought you'd have forgotten about this, Ryan. Of course not. <laughs> okay, well, uh, no, no, and right. I have no good excuse for it. Uh, just, I just like to be honest. Uh, but the, the world isn't full of fairy tales. Sometimes Adam doesn't do his work. Adam, come on, you've had a whole week to start this project. What have you been doing? <laughs> I, tell you, I tell you what I have just been doing, Ryan. Okay. I've set off on a quest by you mm-hmm. to complete the uh, <laughs> Advent of Code challenge. Yes, I, uh, I know exactly what you've been doing. <laughs> and it's, for you, it's the perfect excuse not to do work. Oh, but... it is It is excellent. Um, <laughs> now, for those who aren't aware, it's... it's Every every day of the advent, it, they release another little coding challenge. There's two parts to it. You've got to get the first part to unlock the second. And mm-hmm. Ryan decided that he would spice it up for us <laughs> by making us do a new language every, every day. day. Um, so the first day, um, I wasn't aware of it uh, until like about one in the morning when Ryan messaged me uh, and he did it himself <laughs> in Node. Uh, I've yes. yet to do that first one. Uh, but the second one we did yesterday, we both did it in Python. Mm-hmm. And today, I For decided... For some obscure reason, Adam, you've decided to, to use maybe the worst language I've ever used today. <laughs> <laughs> a, a language called Racket. Uh, mm-hmm. Now... I mean, to be clear, I decided to use it because there was a repository of other people who have completed this this challenge. Uh, they're tracking it every day, and they did racket for the first couple challenges. Um, so that was new. So I gave it a Google, and it's. Uh, I how would you describe it, Ryan? Um, it says that the racket language is multi-paradigm, right? But to yes. me, it just seems very functional. Um, for for me, I find it extremely hard to understand it in my brain. Yes, yeah, so it's using the the scheme dialect of, of Lisp, um, which yes. I didn't know before this. But it's but it's a you have your um, what's it called? Uh, what's the word? What, what word are you looking for? <laughs> uh, it's not. In, it's not in any of my things. Uh, the, the 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 first word, like uh, look. Okay, I'm 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 going to run the program and get the error. Adam, you've fallen the apart. <laughs> the identifier, right? You put the identifier at the start. So instead of like four right. plus two, you, you would actually have plus two and then four, right? And yes. all of this is inside some brackets. Mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense in my brain. So Ryan's actually looking at the code that I've got for my third, uh, the third day. Um, yep. and it I can of... see it and, and no one else can, but that's fine. Yes, well, you know, podcast <laughs> and all that. Uh, it kind of makes sense so that there's like an uh, a command and then there's the two things you put after it or, the you know, the inputs. And that does kind of make sense to my brain, but when you have a lot going on, there is an awful lot of brackets, and that gets very confusing, I think. 
It's all brackets, isn't it? Everything's in brackets. It's all brackets, and brackets are actually very hard. <laughs> when they're all the same brackets, and they, they instead of like the curly brackets, the, the curly braces, sorry, one would use to denote a, a for loop, for example, it's, it's all the same brackets as one would use to call a function or anything like that. So it's all very difficult to understand when it gets long. Yeah, because I've been trying to do it in racket today. Um, and I just it just doesn't make sense in my brain. I I think is may, maybe my brain only naturally thinks of problems in a very procedural way, right? And thinking of it as all like these functions like this, the syntax to me is just insane. <laughs> I just I I cannot make sense of it in my brain, Adam. And it's it's upset me actually that I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it took some getting used to i mean how long you, you've not been going on you've done it for like a an hour or something have you just before now yeah so maybe if i you know worked on it a bit longer maybe something would come of it and i if i tried to learn racket properly rather than what i'm doing which is not that but yeah i mean i started it at 12 o'clock and we, we we're supposed to record this podcast at two um i started at 12 trying to get this done because i think it I was thinking it wouldn't be too hard. Get it done before the podcast. Have a quick chat about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to message Ryan at two to say we're going to have to delay the podcast because <laughs> I've not got anywhere near it. And still, here we are at three o'clock. So three hours after I decided to start. Still unsolved. <laughs> still unsolved. It's mostly... So I'm going to talk Ryan through the code. What I've got at the moment, I'm, I'm reading it in and I've done that nicely. I'm mapping it to a list. So each item is so we i should actually explain the problem here um you're given a text file with every line a new 12-bit binary number right Mm -hmm. and you've got to work out the how much ones appear in the first column how many ones appear in the second column etc for all the columns to find out if more ones or zeros appear in each column. Is that an adequate explanation? Absolutely. So I'm reading in each binary number is a list. I count the number of lines and I count the length of uh, the binary numbers. So, you know, 12 digit. So all good. That, that, that's this top bit. Uh, here then, I'm working out how to find the nth number in the list. So, because Racket doesn't seem to have uh, an inbuilt function to deal with this, uh, I've created a, a a function called nth. It takes a list and the counter, and it returns the counter. It returns the the item in the list. So it just indexes the list, essentially. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Now, all I need to do now, this last bit, is I'm just effectively adding all the lists together. So I have an array here, which is 12 digits long. And each for each binary number, I'm adding that to the array. So the first digit in the array 
will house the number of ones in the first index of all of the binary numbers. Is this making right. sense as an explanation? Well, in ex- an explanation, yes. But when I look at what you've written in Racket, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks fairly reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I've spent the last hour trying to add arrays together and I can't do it at all. And I feel just mad. Because that should be so simple. Well. I know. I'm wondering if this just isn't a problem for Racket. <laughs> I um, I was looking at some of the other examples of people who've written this in Racket. There's, I can only find, find one Racket example though today. Um, I don't know if that's the one you've seen as well. I've not looked. I've, I thought it'd be cheating, so I've not looked. Right. But um, the there is a Racket example out there for today. And it's just okay. so long. And I've looked at it and it just none of it makes sense to me. I understand, you know, maybe it's because I don't know racket, <laughs> but it's just like, it's just nonsensical to me. Usually I can look at a programming language that I'm, you know, that's because most of the time they are quite similar to each other, right? It's just yeah. very small things that aren't the same between languages. So but looking I mean, at racket, that's not how I feel. It's just, it like means nothing to me looking at the code. <laughs> I think I think I can understand. I think I can understand what what I've written. I can understand. Uh, I think it's fairly uh, self-explanatory. The blue is the identifier, and then the the red stuff are the the operators or, or not the operators. Sorry, the what I'm passing into it. Yeah. Um, but so I I think most languages, or I thought before this. Most people can do most languages because you just get stuck in and you'll, you'll find your way around it. If you encounter a problem, you can Google it and find the answer. Mm-hmm. Racket has some level of adoption. Clearly, there, there are some people who are using it. But if you're trying to find, for instance, trying to add two arrays together, which feels like a very simple problem, it I cannot find... A resource online that even vaguely gets anywhere near it there is so little people using it yeah yeah um that it becomes quite difficult and that that's always a problem when you're using you know a programming language that is less well known than some of the other ones it's going to be so hard to find resources and help for that language you know yeah and this is the first language i've used in you know the lisp slash scheme family <laughs> and yeah. um Trying to find like help for racket and finding is not very easy. <laughs> so I yeah I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to abandon racket. We we should not be spending you know three hours <laughs> on one challenge. This should be like a fast little thing that you do, and that's it. Half an I'm hour so maybe close. max, and just then so done. Close. But uh, you know you've not even reached part two yet, so you, you're not close really. <laughs> But the, I, what I liked was I, I found, because the, the the way I was, I'm solving the problem by adding all the arrays together would mean that uh, the, the first uh, index of the array would be a, a count of all the ones in it. So I could divide that by the total number of items in the array. And if it's, it's greater than 50%, then I'd know that there was more ones than there were zeros, which I thought was quite a neat solution. Mm-hmm. Rather than counting them all out individually. I mean, I've abandoned Racket for today, Adam. It's... <laughs> yeah. 
I, I wanted to do it and it's upset to me that I'm abandoning it, but I can't spend hours, I can't spend the the whole day today just trying to work out racket. So I'm, I've actually solved it in Python in like five minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, how, how, have you looked at part two then? I haven't gone to part two yet because you wanted to record this podcast. So I'll be, I'll be doing it after. Yeah, but, I, um, I, I mean, because I, I, I think I could, with more time, figure out part one and possibly some like Stack Overflow questions that I ask. But I can't imagine expanding this to part two. Yeah, maybe for <laughs> second part. But it me because I want to do a new language every day. Well, I think we've just started on maybe one of the worst ones we could have started on. I don't want to offend any racket lovers out there. <laughs> there. There definitely isn't any. But this is this just is like such an alien language to me. Looking at it, it means nothing. I cannot understand it in my brain. Maybe I'm just stupid at it. <laughs> I don't think I am though. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, so I mean, another a reason that I thought it would be easier than it is is we use a tool called GitHub Copilot. We do. Uh, did you, do you want to go for the explaining on that one, or should I? Um, so it's just like, I think they advertise it as an AI-assisted programmer, right? That, like, will pair with you, is how they kind of promote it, is the idea behind it. Yeah. But actually what it is, it just will auto-complete your lines for you as you code. And uh, Well, I think it's even more powerful than that. I, you, you can write a comment saying read the file in line by line and run a function on each line and then, mm. then it will write the code that does that all you need to do is yes. write the comment and it will do it although I there's find, an asterisk to that i find like in the in the wild though i i only really use it for like just like simpler kind of things rather than like writing a massive function for me or something you know yeah yes I think that that's probably a more sensible way of using it because as we've found, um, and I try to rely on Copilot for the start of coding with Racket, and I did did you do that as well? Yep, and did was not working out for me at all. The disaster the code results. the code it was producing for Racket just it it wasn't it wasn't working. It just the the syntax was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I often found that it was trying to like use things that were libraries that needed to be imported, or sometimes you just needed to write an entire function yourself. To it called <laughs> so this nth function that I've got here came about because I wanted I I typed in Copilot find uh, the the index of this list, right, and it used this function called nth. And, and I looked at it and thought, okay, well, maybe this is a library I need to import. No, there was no such library. I needed to write this nth function myself. Like I just <laughs> copied it from a stack overflow. But clearly what happened is Copilot, which is uh, like an AI machine learning tool that Microsoft ran on, on all the GitHub uh, code base. Cl- clearly someone that wrote stuff in Racket used this nth function and co-picked that up but didn't pick up the fact that I needed to an nth function to run it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm assuming it's because Racket is not as popular as some other languages, so it has less yeah. to learn from. Um, 
Because when I've been using it in like PHP or JavaScript, pretty much all the time it will be spot on. But that being said though, even in the popular languages like that, occasionally it will still produce something that's just, you know, nonsensical. It happens even with popular languages. Um, I suppose that's the that's the problem with using an AI programmer like this, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah, not always I, going to be right. I, and I've I've seen uh, reports of uh, of like academic reports of, of looking at it, and and I think the figure was forty percent of the code Copilot produces could be exploited in some way. Okay. Um. So I think it requires you to have like a a fair eye on on what's going on. I I, I we used it uh, yesterday. I was writing some Python and it filled in a function for me, and it turned out that it was it it interpreted it wrong and it it caused a bug that I had to go and fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it still happens in like your you know more popular languages. Um, you still might have to fix the things that it produces for you. I I find I only really use it for like simple things that I, I would say normally I would look up a Stack Overflow article of how to do. I can usually entrust that the Copilot um, algorithm will work it out correctly for me, you know, yeah. rather than me manually going to Stack Overflow. I only use it for small things. I wouldn't... I would never trust it to write like you know a complicated algorithm type thing for me. Really, it's it's yeah, for, it's for simple things is what I use it for. I think um, there's also like some legal questions on on writing a large um, function. I've I've seen people talking about if if this code has been taken from uh, what they call copy left. Uh, sources so that that's the like gtpt v3 licenses that that say if you use or a, a significant chunk or, or some part of this code you have to make sure your license is also permitting other people to copy it it's open source etc mm-hmm. so at what point does if you use a lot of copilot code auto completion Actually, should your code f- fall under an open source license because you're probably using other people's open source code? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've seen a lot of as well. Um, I don't know what the answer to this to this is. It's a very new problem, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, I don't think it's an issue because I I I only I only really use it to like you know if I need to read from a file or like looping through an array or something or just like some kind of simple kind of thing just to autocomplete like the line that I probably could type out anyway manually. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't use it for like, you know, big complicated methods. And if it did produce one of those, I might think, you know, where has this come from? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing though, because it's it's a new problem. Yeah, because I, I imagine if, you know, you're working for a large company and you as just an individual developer could be using Copilot um, and then, the, you know, the, the, this larger company wouldn't know, right? Yeah. Uh, that what you're doing is possibly, like, legally dubious. 
I, um, I, I, I assume Microsoft must have like resolved these legal issues internally. Like they, they must be happy that this is fine, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have released yeah, it. Yeah, probably. So I mean, uh, yeah, presume that they use it internally. I, I assume Microsoft is fine with it, which means it must be fine to use, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because I don't. I've, I've, I mean, I've never like published anything uh, for for. Uh, commercial purposes or anything but i don't take into account the licenses of any libraries i use no well me neither because um, they potentially have the same kind of copy left and needs to be open source if you use this library licenses i mean the majority of things you'll use will just let you freely use them however you want to right yeah so i You've mean got to, i think you might have to be careful if someone was really looking at, I but I then again I don't know how they'd know. No, and I'm not you know a lawyer, <laughs> so no. I can't answer that question for you really. But I mean, <laughs> I I assume the languages, uh, not the languages, sorry, the packages that are you know the popular ones, they're all going to allow you to use their software however you want, pretty much. Yeah, the ones that aren't allowing that probably aren't going to be as popular because they don't let you use it however you want so yeah, i suppose so i don't know it's it's it raises some in- interesting questions on like where it's headed as well like will we be able to you know just speak what we want what, 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 like what, what what we want our like web app to to be like with like the logic or something and the ai will just produce all of the code for us because yeah, this is I, like I AI I... assisted, right? It's not AI produces it all for you. Yeah, I think I've seen. But are we headed that way? I think I've seen something akin to you. You can describe how you want uh, the UI of a website to look, and it will produce the CSS for you mm-hmm. in in just natural English. Uh, I can't remember, but I think we're getting close to that kind of reality. How it's how just would? You go. <laughs> no, no, you go. I was just wondering how you would feel with, you know, just speaking everything you want the code to be and the AI will just produce it all for you. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's a, it could be a better world, right? Reducing like human error and all that problems mm-hmm. that, that you get and also increasing uniformity, right? If everyone solves a problem the same way because it's not them who are solving the problem, it's this AI... That's nice to maintain it. Mm. Um, but then again, if there is a vulnerability in the way this AI solves a problem, everything is possibly vulnerable to it if they use the same software mm-hmm. to create it. I, I also feel like the it wouldn't always be the same type of um, stuff that the AI produces, though, right? Because it's learning from the code... That isn't it's not it's not all just from one place that it learns it learns from the code that like millions of people have written so what it produces might not actually be the same all the time uh maybe i i'm assuming that it it can learn how everyone else has done it and then it will find the it's, best it's way own, to read it's in own from formatting, a file. do you think yeah i'm assu- assuming if you say read in from a file it will do that the same way because it's it's come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I th- I think the vulnerability point is stronger, because yeah. You know, if you have to trust the AI to produce 
the right answer? The most secure answer? Yeah. But then again, I suppose... I th- I think... I mean, I, I think humans are probably equally, if not more, vulnerable mm-hmm. to creating these problems. It's just the problems humans create will be more diverse. If you find the problem that the AI would have created... Um, it's possibly everywhere rather mm-hmm. than something a human created it's probably just on that one service yeah so i i think probably the ai assisted programming is like the better way to do it as opposed to like full ai kind of solution you know yeah i mean it would be an exciting it'd be an exciting time to see uh it would be strange though because then like what is the point of software engineers if ai is writing all the code Especially yeah. if, if you could just speak your code, then, you know, potentially anyone would be able to to do that. It doesn't You don't have to be a programmer to do that. You, you, you think uh, job security is scary for you here? Well, potentially. I, I know there's people, you know, people who work on the machine learning side of things and, would, and there's people who have to maintain, like, all that too. But... You know, if I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, well, I think I think this is this is a. I think societally, we we should strive to a more of a uh, a post work world, right? Okay. I mean, no one no one enjoys being forced to do work just to you know pay the bills. And if there's if there is no such thing as work, then you can do all you you, you can fulfill whatever you want to do, right? And most of what you buy and what you see is labour cost, right? Mm -hmm. So if you remove that cost because it's not done by things you need to pay, they're just done by robots, things will become much cheaper. Yeah. I mean, I I see a point. But there'll be a painful transition time when some people have jobs and some people don't. I don't know. I don't know what my thoughts on it are, to be honest. I I don't know if I'm for or against it. Um, There's like pros and cons to both sides. You know, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think it's it's the it's the 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 middle bit that we are. We, we we've been getting to since you know. The industrial revolution, right? We've right. been moving towards automating, these things. And you'd still have to have people to to program the automation. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I like where it is right now though with this AI assisted programming. I hope that can be developed further um, because I think that's a strong place to be right now because when I use this, like these like AI-assisted programming type of tools, I find that you can work so much faster than before. Yeah, I think it makes you a better developer. Yes. And it's just, it's like that not having to switch to like Stack Overflow to look up something. You can just stay within one place and the AI, AI will produce the answer for you. That's just a, a nice way to, to, to live, I feel, and to work. <laughs> yeah, and I think it allows you to be able to switch between languages much faster. Because mm-hmm. often I don't remember how to do reading in a file, right? Excellent example. I couldn't be able to do that off the top of my head for any language. Yeah, so it's it's nice to like have the code be written for you for that automatically. Yeah. 
because that, that 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 type of thing there that you've just described, like reading from a file, that is something you would have to look up every time in every language that you use, basically, because it's not something you experience very often. Reading from a file, yeah, and you yeah. want to make sure you're doing it the right way. And the syntax for it in each language is not at all similar most of the time. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I want to lead on from. I would talk about racket earlier, Adam. Yeah. Because racket is very functional, I feel, even though it's not apparently. Apparently it's multi-paradigm. That is not what I experienced though today. But <laughs> I, I can't imagine doing oop in it, but it says it's capable of it, so who knows? Is that what it says, is it? Gosh. Yeah, it says object-oriented. Well, I saw a video today of... Um, someone from Fireship. Have you watched like the Fireship videos before? I think I've no. sent. I think I've sent some to you actually. So you, I think oh, you have. Well, maybe I've forgotten. <laughs> I'll give it a giggle. Um, they just like produce a lot of videos about software engineering type topics, and I saw okay. that they uploaded a video about unpopular opinions in software engineering, and they were reacting to some of these opinions. So, one of the first unpopular opinion in the video was that OOP, or object-oriented programming, is bad. And this this is an opinion I've, like, seen around on the web, you know? I think I've given you this opinion personally. Have you? <laughs> yes. I uh, Last year, I watched a, a video that was quite anti-OOP. I seem to recall something like that. But I, I didn't realise that this was such, like, a widely viewed kind of opinion. It seems a lot of people actually have this unpopular opinion. I, I, there are parts of it that I do agree with. And I'm thinking, like, what is your alternative? Like, functional? Is that the alternative to OOP? Uh, well, procedural. <laughs> I suppose just not, not OOP. Surely procedural is, like, lower on the list than OOP, though, right? <laughs> I think, I think the problem with OOP is doing OOP for everything having an object-oriented approach to problems that don't need object-oriented solutions purely because um you're using a very object-oriented language or that's because the, the only way you think about things i think that can be problematic see i i just don't know if i agree with that <laughs> see i think the 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 argument that i quite like is there's a lot of times you're creating an object-oriented piece of code and you are using objects, but they shouldn't be objects. So helper classes, right? A really, a really good example of things that don't need to be an object because they will only be called... You'll only have one object of this helper class and it, it doesn't need to maintain its state or anything. It's just like printing to the console or it's reading in a file or something. That doesn't but, need to have a, a whole class dedicated to it. It's I'd really say unnecessary. In, in what you've just described now, a helper class as an object, that's that's anti-oop anyway, you know? That that wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to have a help class as an object. You would put those methods onto your objects, I guess. Um but I've I've been through this with you before about how helper classes are like an anti-pattern i find especially when it comes to object-oriented programming because those methods are more likely better placed somewhere else 
rather than a helper class. Yes, I suppose. So I don't know if a helper class is a good example. Maybe. I I I still think... Think back to when we were doing Java in the the first year and they were doing the stereotypical kind of this is how you do oop and it's always like cats and dogs mm-hmm. or, or animals of, of some kind and it works really well as as objects you, you know that animals are objects and they have parent objects and they have child objects and, and there's inheritance and it's it's like a really excellent way to think about it mm-hmm. but when you're actually presented with a problem it's you almost have to force it into this this object nature when things are much more ethereal they're not actually objects that you'd imagine in real life i mean i i feel like like with the project i've been working on i feel like everything will naturally fit into these objects you know yeah no i i think all i there might be some extremists that, that think uh, you should never have anything object orientated, uh, but I think there are definitely some, and probably a lot of times when it's useful, it's just not always the best solution. With the um, alternative being functional, maybe, um, or just I think just not all oop doesn't. I think ha- I, not I can... everything has to be. Think think about what we've done what we're doing at the moment with the the advent of code and sorting out in python procedurally very quick doing it with java or a, a language that is heavily object orientated it would take so much extra coding to sort out okay here are the classes here are the methods and it would it, it would be so large rather than just doing something quickly and procedurally yeah i mean the type of stuff we're doing that is very scripty though, right? And, yeah, yeah. And like, and writing scripts is more procedural than you know object oriented most of the time. I'd say. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So it it makes sense to write th- these kind of things in a procedural way. If you're writing a making a web app, then it probably makes more sense to be a bit more oopy about it than procedural. I think even making a web, there's, you know, I think, and I think we found this when we were using Spring Boot, in that actually having to make everything in classes and objects doesn't feel right at all the time. There's a lot of times where you only have one instance of an object, mm-hmm. and that doesn't make, a, it doesn't feel like it's harnessing any of the power of object orientation. I don't know if this is a spring problem though, or a or a noop problem, you know, because <laughs> I, I think well, I had I think... a lot of issues with like how spring worked with objects and stuff, um, and then really? compare that to how I'm working with objects in Laravel, completely different experience. Um, is everything so, yeah. an object in your Laravel app? Well, I've got like user objects, post objects, media objects. Um, right. I don't actually have that many objects. I think I've got like five or six classes like of that type of like that there are models in the system yeah um there's, it's not that many but mine's quite a simple app i guess but i feel like everything naturally fits into a model object okay i can i mean <laughs> okay. you know, who knows 
Maybe, I can, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I... I can appreciate the functional way of doing things as well. And I think there is more, more of a move to that these days. Um, kind of the idea as well, I don't know if you've seen this, but of like actions. So there's like this idea now, which I'm seeing a lot in the Laravel world, of kind of moving away from having your controller, which has multiple methods on it for your HTTP verbs, right? You with me? Yeah, yeah. I'm moving away from that to just having like an action class for each verb, basically. What does that mean? So if you had in your HTTP controller for like one of your objects, say you had a method to um, just show one of your resources, right? Yeah, okay. You'd have, instead of having that as just a method on the controller, you'd have an action for, which is like a separate class of its own, singleton, single responsibility, which only is for showing that resource. You'd have another action to update a resource, another one to store, to delete, you know? Okay. So it's the idea of like separating your actions into different classes instead of having one controller with many methods. Um I haven't That's really looked into it as a something I'd want to do yet. I don't know if I, I want to do it, but it is I interesting to me. I don't me. see the benefits as much. It uh, it just seems kind of the same, but slightly different. I think it's like the separation and the modularity of it, you know? But why is that important? I mean, I'm not an advocate of it, Adam, so you're asking the wrong person <laughs> there. I, th- I think okay. it is important just to like simplify the code. You know, you can more Maybe. easily, okay. more easily organize things because each class has one responsibility rather yes, than using so. controllers. Your class has multiple responsibilities, you know, up to like seven, I think, is what happens when you generate a resource controlling Laravel. So for all your different actions. Um, yeah. So I, I can definitely see how it could make sense. Sometimes your controllers can become quite large and then you have this big class with multiple methods on it that you can you can definitely see how that could be separated up right right and that could make more sense i don't know we haven't experimented with it it's just something i've seen out there and that that is a more functional kind of way to think of it i guess when i watched the video earlier of these unpopular opinions yeah okay just as like a quick little thing to maybe wrap this up now (laughs) i was wondering it made me think about what unpopular opinions I had. Yeah. And I was wondering if you had any unpopular opinions as well. Uh, well, give give me yours and I'll, I'll have a think. So, my first one is my most controversial, possibly. <laughs> oh, okay. We've talked about this before. I don't know... I don't know if you know if I want to talk about this with you, Adam, because it can sometimes get heated. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm ready. But I, you already know this of me, but I don't think the PHP is as bad as a lot of people say it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I think on the web, on the web these days, I feel like you see so much hate for like three-ish languages all the time. Yes. Do you, do now, you, do you know what those languages are that I'm thinking of out of interest? <laughs> PHP, JavaScript, um, can't give you a third. I definitely see a lot of hate for, like, PHP and JavaScript all the time. Yes. Um, I don't think these are serious, though. I, I mean, they, certainly they I don't bit, see them as they serious. They are a bit more meme I guess, than serious. Yeah. 
But you do see it all the time. And I do wonder, is this just because the majority of the web is powered by PHP and JavaScript? I think it's because... Well, I mean, I don't know... It, well, I think that the complaints of JavaScript are just like... So it, it's a bit illogical sometimes. I think PHP is viewed as a bit more hacky, right? Mm-hmm. But back in the day, anyone could like write up a web app uh, with PHP and it would be god-awful in any any aspect. But I think actually that's quite an old view because, you know, things like Python uh, are similar in their pick-up-and-play attitude. And I really don't think that's a problem, right? There shouldn't be some kind of elitist um, view of, of programming languages. I think that going back to... You said there are three, and I think the third one is probably v, VB, right? Well, I I don't... I, <laughs> I feel like there's there's a, a lot of others that actually fit into the third slot that I, that I see hate for randomly. I'm wondering if people just hate, like, all programming languages. <laughs> yes, I think, I think that's the case. I think I feel that way as well. I hate... <laughs> I think I think the issue though there is that you always there's always problems in every programming language. There's 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 no such thing as a perfect language, right? Yeah. Every language has problems. And coming back to PHP, a lot of the problems that people bring up about PHP are ones from like, you know, very old versions. It's on PHP eight now. PHP eight point one was released very recently. Um and it's like I think it's PHP eight is such a good language now. It's it still has problems. Obviously, every language has problems. There's no yeah. perfect language out there. But I just like, and I, I I can agree with what you're saying as well. I probably think it is because of that like scripty kind of nature that PHP has, which is similar to Python. Um, yeah. But put PHP in a framework like Laravel, and <laughs> what what a, an exciting world that is that you've just created. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think my problems about it are, are purely syntactic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it, sometimes it's just quite ugly. I mean, I can probably think of like every programming language I know. I can probably think of a problem I, or something I don't like about it. Yeah. There's there's no such thing as a perfect one. Yeah, and it, it's more to do with uh, us being incompetent, right? Than, yes. Than a, a language being problematic. <laughs> The... No, I, don't, I don't know why you think I'd have strong opinions against you on this one. No, and I think you have grown in that respect because oh. <laughs> I think in being talked down to in first year you would. I don't think you'd have had that opinion. No, I, I think I did have this opinion, but it was just funny to insult the fact that you use PHP. Well, this is <laughs> this still is, is thing. Right? I, I stand by that. But is it funny though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if... if you see if you see someone on, on their CV, write PHP developer, Christ. I, I read at some point that 80% of the web is powered by PHP. Yeah. And no, I mean, that is true. It is it is true, I think. I, I don't have the reference to back it up right now. <laughs> no, but I mean, it feels true. Because it's a lot of just like random sites that created 40 years ago. Yes. And I I think like the, the, the underlying thing I believe about it though is that the language just like it isn't important to what you do. You you'd never visit a website and you're like, I'm so glad this was written in JavaScript and not PHP. <laughs> yeah, I, I a user never cares about the program language, obviously that you use. Yeah, that's just something that affects the developer experience. But you know, 
massive websites have been made off the back of PHP. A lot of them, you know, Facebook, Wikipedia, um, and they that like it's not like the user cares that is written in PHP. It doesn't matter. So at the end, it's just like it's the language you prefer that matters. <laughs> what yeah. what do you want to use? It doesn't matter what anyone else uses. Does it yeah. really? No, I agree. Something else I was thinking. I don't know if this is a, an unpopular opinion, but it's something that like I I kind of experience a lot is people kind of, I feel like people, not that they expect their code to be error-free, but when they get an error, it kind of like throws them off completely. And for me, the majority of like programming is you're just looking up error messages all the time, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, Ron, I mean, I, I'm going to have to <laughs> call bullshit on you saying that these are unpopular opinions. <laughs> These are very popular opinions. <laughs> the fact that you spend 80% of your time debugging is not a surprise. I think for some people it might be, you know? Uh, maybe. Maybe people that are newer to the, uh, to the I role. I think especially if you're new to programming, you, yeah. you would be thrown off by having all these errors. You might think you're a bad programmer. Um, yeah. But this is the reality is that you kind of just, you have an error message, you look it up, you solve it, you move on to the next one. <laughs> and yeah. it just repeats forever, and that's the developer life. <laughs> and I think that's that's going back to this. I think that's that's why the the more automation of the coding process with Copilot or or things similar to that will be beneficial, right? Because it's normally you you know the solution to your problem. It's just getting the syntax right and getting it you know to for the computer to understand and pass. That, that, that being said, should though, be made smoother. Early, by this. I mean, earlier in Racket, everything that that it was producing for me was did did not run. <laughs> and I've had you had an experience yesterday with that with with Python, right? Where it produced yeah. some code for you that didn't run. Yes. So it, not really completely reliable there. But no, that, no. But I is, think the move to that will smooth that out. Hopefully, in the you future, think you would lessen it. Do you? Yeah, hopefully. Mm. That's what I'm thinking. Do you have any unpopular opinions to share? Uh, so I think I think my unpopular opinion is a distaste for server-side rendering and MVP, MVP, MVC uh, modeling. Okay. Uh, I think now I I mean going back to the first episode of this podcast, you, you may remember that I was trying to have a server-side rendered app um so i'm not i'm not hugely but i in principle i like the separation of client and server right i like that any anyone could be switched out for another right providing they have they understand the communication between them yeah uh i don't know if this is an unpopular opinion but i don't think it's uh a modern opinion. I think you, you've you've mentioned before that this is quite an old school way of thinking. Yeah, I I don't think this is an unpopular opinion, especially now. Um, the kind of separation between client and server is quite well used these days. I feel right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know. With things like Laravel, uh, what is the because yeah because how like if you use blade files yes if you use Laravel without like. You know, using Vue or 
um, Inertia or something else like with it, you will just be using blade files, which are server-side rendered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a benefit to that, which is um, server-side rendering is better for search engine optimization. Yes. So Yes, I have heard that. I'm and using... That, was, that is actually the reason that I was going to use Nuxt. Mm-hmm. Because I'm using Inertia.js, which is like um, a glue, I guess, between your client and your server. Um, it's quite hard to explain it, so look it up, you know, if you're interested in it. But um, it has like a server-side rendering option for like sponsors only. I think it is going to be like non-sponsor in the future. It's still, I think it's still on its like version 0. Point something release, you know. It's quite, quite new. Um, right. As Inertia.js as a whole, I mean. But it does have like a server-side rendering thing that it's um <laughs> that it has as like a sponsors only type thing. So that yeah. you can instead of you having to generate the view on the client side, you can do it on the server side and then send that over. So it basically starts like a little node server to do that. Um yeah, okay. the benefit of it is it does improve your SEO. Um don't know. That's yeah. that's I guess is about it though. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think that there are there are there are some benefits to having a very uh, homogenous monolith code base, right? And it does everything all in one repository, front end, back end. There is there is no need for an API to maintain; it just sorts it out itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I I suppose it it depends on what type of app you're making though right because it's nice to do it all in one like that yes but perhaps if you're making like an api that you want to be consumed by the public not just by your own apps then you know it that that kind of separation between api and client makes a lot more sense suddenly right yeah so it, it depends on what type of app you're making i feel yeah i think you're right with what um... you said about mvc as well my third point was about that the monolith is the way forward. Yes, yes, I have heard you say this for a while now. <laughs> so what what is what is your point about not liking MVC then? And what's the alternative? Uh I'd say I don't I don't really know the alternative. It, MVC is is most of the way we've d- we've done the development of web apps. Um I just it just doesn't give me warm fuzzy feelings. <laughs> See, I get I, I get a lot of warm fuzzy feelings from it. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> it makes lots of sense in my brain. Nice separation between, you know, the database layer, your business logic and your UI. I like that. There are other models, yeah. not just MVC, you know, that you can look at, but MVC makes lots of sense in my brain. Yes, I, I yes, I, it's. I mean, it's not the way I'm going with my development at the moment. Uh, well, that hasn't because, started yet, has it? No, but the the, the plan <laughs> in my head there there isn't going to be any any sort of models or anything. It's just going to be simple calls to a database. Oh, like, um, well, like raw in your controllers, or you not having controllers? <laughs> uh, I prob well, I I think it would just. Well, it's just going to be an, a, an API, right? Effectively. So it's right. just going to be controllers. 
Okay. There is going to be no view or models. Because your view is going I mean, to be handled in a, in a clay and sodak, you mean? Yeah, it is, yeah. I don't know if there's going to be... that. There is a name for, for that. What, so on your, just on an your, API. On your server side, are you just going to have, like, raw SQL in your API calls? It, it won't be SQL because it's not SQL. It's, it's um, DynamoDB, which is not SQL. Okay. It will just be uh, API calls to the DynamoDB server. Hmm. I mean, that, that seems interesting. I wonder if that would be, like, very efficient and optimised, you know? I mean, the backend shouldn't be too large because it doesn't really need to be. Yes, compare it to the backend, say, of my project, which is going to be quite large. Yeah. But swings and roundabouts, <laughs> you know? It's... Yes, I mean, I, I don't know if my... Does my design have a name there? Do you know that? I don't... what that would be called? I don't know. That's... No. Um... It, that's just kind of very simple kind of design though right you'd have to yes. you'd have to look up this but it's, it's certainly not mvc no it's not yeah and yeah, it's probably not object oriented either no no you could maybe say it's functional if like you have in each function is an api call uh it's probably just going to be procedural i don't think it'll be functional hmm. <laughs> i mean it's written in javascript so i don't know how functional you can be I feel like very functional in JavaScript. Can you not? Certainly not as functional as uh, Racket. No, <laughs> no That's nothing very like functional. Racket. But you can definitely be functional in um, JavaScript. And that would yes, probably, I suppose you could be functional, but it's not a functional language. It would probably make a lot of sense for your app to be functional if all it is, all your server side is, is just a load of API calls. You know, each API call is a function. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There will be some small amount of logic inside of it, but yes. Yeah, I mean, that sounds interesting. I'd like to see it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be, it'll definitely be done at some point, as you, as you can expect. Well, I was hoping to see it this week, so hopefully that's yes, something show me next week instead. Yes, I apologise, Ryan. I, I, what I will have is, is more. Uh, advent of code challenges <laughs> mm. i have to finish mine in python and uh no come on at least do a new language today but i wanted us to use the same all the way through you know <laughs> yeah and if you're gonna do racket i'll just use python or no just to <laughs> just to finish this one off today yeah i don't think i'll be able to do racket i think i think i'm just gonna gonna have node and python as my backup languages if the one i wanted to use today doesn't work out for me yeah it is upsetting, though. I wanted to say it's very upsetting, but what can you do, Adam? I can't spend You've all day fail learning fast, Ryan. You've got to fail fast. Exactly, exactly. You've got to fail fast. Racket didn't work out for me. Move on. Yeah. Maybe I should do another language, but I'm. I've already done part one in Python, so that's too late for today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll we'll revisit tomorrow. We'll what, come back to it. <laughs> what what language are you thinking for tomorrow? I mean, I thought your your recommendation of assembly was serious. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Especially after after using Racket, I need I need something simple for tomorrow. Go. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's C like, not a uh, not a uh, schema like. That's that's what I need after today. Yeah, bit bit of curly braces. Yeah, but I think we'll sign off.
Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.